to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello, audience, and welcome to episode 156 of The Big Red Couch. Here in England, where the lights went out hours ago, I am Craig, and on the other side of the world... It's Ben. Yeah, it's cool. How's it going, Craig? It's going okay. I mean, I say the lights went out, just to clarify, I'm not somehow broadcasting from the middle of some grand national power cut. It's just more that we are far from we are far from the land of lights that is New Zealand, and we should all feel sad about that. Okay. Also, it's really cold out there. Like, seriously. Blowy as hell. It, it will happen. So... What do we have this time for our faithful, benighted audience? Why, we have a carefully articulated curse against the common man. Excellent. Proceed. Sounds like a really shit game show, doesn't it? <laughs> a cuddly toy, a water ski, a carefully articulated curse against the common man. Ooh, didn't want to pull that one. <laughs> I'm getting a very Bruce Forsyth vibe. That's what I was going for? The show with the conveyor belt, which I cannot recall. I think it's the generation game that's right that was a thing very long time ago ah yes first th- thinly veiled advertising for consumer products and a man with an unholy chin that's that's what the world was at that age and a mustache i seem to remember a mustache oh yes a completely despicable mustache as well was i'm, I'm just just wondering were basil brush and Forsyth ever seen at the same place at the same time I don't know, right? The records are spotty and incomplete, so we can't rule okay. anything out. Because I'm just wondering. I'm just throwing it out there as a question. Fair enough. For our uh, glorious episode 156, a prompt that apparently I uttered, but I could not source where it came from. I listened to a couple of episodes. I considered converting them all into uh, transcripts, but that seemed weird. I didn't want to really want to... F- start inserting our ideas into some sort of cloud AI thing only to have it learn stuff it shouldn't but probably didn't deserve or need to know we, we, we do not hate our eventual AI overlord that much yet and also all of our schemes and plots are in those episodes so it, it would be tipping oh. hand. <laughs> given that we did accidentally cam- come up with commoditizing illegal communications yeah fair call fair call it's more of a Roku's Basilisk sort of idea. Not sure I know that one. Oh, you've not come across Roku's Basilisk. Oh, that that could be an episode by itself. <laughs> I'll make a note. <laughs> Hang on a sec. That should not have been as difficult to spell as I make, made it. On the other hand, it is written on a piece of paper that also includes the term corporate icky dispenser and high my the fuck out of them. It's been an odd day. So, so, so this this phrase comes to us from you, but for unknown reason. Well, I thought it might be in the Floating Steel Reef episode because we had a bit of corporate bullshit in that in that particular um, one, but it, it's, it, I couldn't find it. Excellent. We have we've developed such a deep and storied back history to the the this, ep- this podcast that even we don't know what's going on about. We have definitely ascended to the. Uh, true creative heights where our fans will go 
ah, 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 that was an episode, blah, blah, blah. And we will have to, like, just groan and shake our heads and sign their merchandise. Yeah, take their word for it, yeah. At this point, since we don't make any merchandise, that's probably illegal. I mean, we can sign other people's merchandise, you know. I, I was thinking merchandise is a euphemism, and now I'm regretting everything. Cool. Hmm, that's fair. Right, so... Having lowered the tone, as we do. It's our shtick. How have you elected to handle a story about a carefully articulated curse against the common man and our bonus modifier topic? This is experimental. We'll see where this goes. What did folks want us to um, consider alongside our uh, cunning cunning plan? Well, I, to be to be fair, I may not have fully understood what the goal was with the with the bonus modifier topic. And by that I mean I totally did not understand what the goal was with the um, bonus modifier topic. But uh, of the of the things that was thrown out there, the clear winner was over planning with a strong a, a strong finish from curses. Uh, this did lead Taz to suggest the curse of over planning, which to me that makes it sound like a corporate video that is inexplicably delivered by Count Orlok from Nosferatu. I saw that thread, but the thing it made, reminded me of was um, Aliocard from Helsing, except uh-huh. his, um, his level zero Cromwell restriction release invocation is him opening PowerPoint. Huh. At, which, at which point the, the, the walls melt, everything has eyes, and um, yeah, terrible, terrible things happen. A lot of things had eyes when when he got his his freak on, as it were. Yes, yes, they did. <laughs> a lot of a lot of unnecessary eyes. <laughs> so so many eyes. Well, so as it happens, I mean, I, yes, I completely misunderstood what the point of that was, but I think it does actually tie in rather well to what I ended up doing. Yes, accidental synergy. Woo. Indeed. Now it's the universe moving towards a more perfect harmony. Then uh, you mean complete entropy decay. Yep, that's definitely what's going on. That's what I said. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so shall I, shall I launch into my um, absolute ridiculousness? Okay. So, where I started with this was just the thought that the phrase "a carefully articulated curse against the common man" sounds like the sort of thing that a politician would accuse a government policy of being, and that most likely be right. <laughs> well, yes, because <laughs> it, it's quite a flowery phrase. Uh, it's got a lot packed in there. It's suggesting that whoever um, made the statement is 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 being very articulate and erudite, uh, but also elitist. Also, also a bit grandiloquent as well. Indeed, yeah. There's quite a lot going on there. Also, they're also implying absolutely that there's malicious intent and malice aforethought. Oh yeah, which then got me thinking of the sort of the sort of governmental policies, and yeah, I'm in the UK, so my thoughts naturally went in those lines mm. that that could be described in such a way. I thought of a few things that I didn't want to touch with ten foot barge pole. I, I am I Is that the regulation length for barge poles in uh, your... Yeah, they they have inspectors. Oh wow. That's uh that's very English. Can Alan River trust a serious businessman? You <laughs> don't want to be using a shorter or long barge pole. They'll pull your rod license for that. <laughs> They catch you doing that, they'll they'll like confiscate half of the little doodads on your badge, just like that. 
All your brass rubbings and shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll no longer be able to invite somebody back to your narrowboat to show them your etchings. <laughs> so, I thought of various things I didn't want to touch. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm sure there is a game out there about the demise of the British coal mining industry. I do not want to make it. Fair enough. You're too, you're too busy with your your tactical simulation about canals and narrowboats. <laughs> Hypothetically, yes. Weirs and wankers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Pubs and passing bays. Mm. Puttering and passing. Puttering and pu- anyway, there's the. Uh, it's based on the Warhammer 40k system. You'll love it. So anyway, I was trying to think of the actual governmental policy that might be interesting, and had recently run into some stuff on a thing that occurred in post-war Britain to the railways, known as the beaching cuts. I've heard something about these. Yeah. Mm. Which were basically when the British National Rail was hemorrhaging money. And so a report was commissioned, put together by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Beeching. I believe he may have been an economist, among other things, for effectively how to not lose hundreds of millions of pounds a year running a railway service. And the Beeching cuts... The beaching cuts had a very significant impact. It was supposed... Well, yeah, they did go a way towards saving things. Though, to my understanding, they never saved the amount of money that they were supposed to. There were aspects where you know, trains were supposed to be taken out or converted to freight only from being passenger and freight uh, lines. And then passengers would be catered for by buses. But the buses never happened. There were some areas of the country where you had sort of one line that runs up a long valley serving a large number of small towns, you lose that line, they've lost all public transport. Mm. Yeah. Just like that. I really didn't want to do Beaching Cuts, the RPG. Mm. Also, there's a TV... There were, yeah, there was a TV show, I think, called Oh, Dr. Beaching, possibly made by the same people who did Heidi High, but I'm not sure on that one. Oh, goodness. Which... Covers the, the, the area in um, in great comedic detail. But it did give me the, the idea for something something that I felt could be done. I, I presume I presume you didn't want to write the RPG, a carefully articulated bus against the common man. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> Fair enough. It's not, it's not where I was originally thinking of going, but that's not a bad shout. <laughs> that could be made to work. Public transport humour. Yeah. Indeed. But what I, yeah, what I thought about was basically the, effectively the opposition of ideas of of what a train service or what a train system is for. That you had kind of this this clash of notions or between this is a thing that is supposed to make money, it is supposed to move stuff around, the people are incidental versus the the idea of no people people should be moved around, people are not stuff. Public public transport is a good thing, and trains should be used for it. And I'm a big fan of trains. I, I, I like me a good train station. That is a very weird phrase to have used. Eh, it's... You're not the first person to say that. I'm pretty confident. That, that's, that's good. And so, what I'm imagining is a world... This isn't quite England, but it's maybe the sort of thing that could happen if somebody was, was writing a story set in England, but didn't 100% understand how various events slotted into time periods of history. 
that 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 kind of thing. We're compressing the timeline slightly to to make things a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we basically have a a situation where you know, the canal networks were built. The canal networks exist. The train networks have have been built and spread. And there is now you know, within government what amounts to this this very big debate over okay, should this effectively should we be running the um, the this this train system to allow people from tiny little villages all over the place to travel wherever they want to, or should it be should it be used for the the good of the realm, by which we mean the good of large industrialists to move stuff about, even if that stuff is occasionally uh, independent worker units. It's that that kind of juxtaposition of views. Cutting under that is kind of the notion of, you know, much much as you run into the the notion of the king or the leader being the, the you know the ruler being, as it were. The, the spiritual representative of the land, you know, as the ruler, the mm. ruler sickens, the land sickens, and vice versa, is kind of flipping it the other way around and saying, well, what if you know the people are very much the, uh, the the spiritual indicator of the land, and you know, to the extent to the extent that the people consider themselves to be part of a society and part of one big society, that kind of affects the country. So we're getting a bit magical woogie here. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's a real phrase. Yeah, something I couldn't even figure out how to look up was really when, at least within within the UK, when the notion of an English of English identity really started to come up. When stopped when people stopped thinking of themselves as being sort of from Yorkshire or from from Cornwall or whatever. When when the notion of the of, of a country as a whole really became a thing for the average common person. I, I don't even know how you'd look that one up. It's bound to be ethnography and, and stuff based on it, and I got to assume that it started certainly when England became an empire. There's, you know, threads of King Arthur and Elizabeth I and stuff like that. It's all going to have to kind of be part of it. There's... Yeah, Englishness is a very nebulous but powerful concept, which is uh, still easily used with. by people running propaganda. Oh yes, absolutely. That I mean, nationalism is is built for that. So <laughs> yeah, that that's probably an interesting topic in and of itself. But you're trying to explore how the transport network. Well, that's that's kind of where I started, and I realised there wasn't really a game in there. But I, I kind of came up with a game, which is basically that yeah, we take this kind of this kind of battle between the idea of people, you know, people should be able to you know, the, the transport system should be there for people to move around. Somebody in this in a little village should be able to visit the seaside with their family and go back on, on a weekend. Versus on the other side, the people who feel that, no, the transport network should be there for moving freight around and people should just stay where they are and work in their allotted lives. It's basically that that kind of just juxtaposition, almost a sort of feudal industrialism mm. versus whatever the hell the opposite of that one is. So I didn't have as good a phrase for that, to be honest. It might be just the like the advertising aesthetic, but I get the impression there was a lot of in the like the nineteen tens and twenties. It's good for your health and fun to go to the seaside kind of posters. 
Exactly. The, the Skegness, it's so bracing, uh, Jolly Fisherman uh, poster. Yeah, which yeah, got yeah. so brilliantly ripped off by Viz magazine. But the... And I'm not sure, because I'm not sure precisely where that, that came from. Because I get the impression that a lot of the the railway... The railways, as they were built, were privately owned and operated, particularly because because of many of the I mean many of the different lines in London themselves were kind of in competition somehow. And you know, yep. if there's anything that you would like to plan like nationally, it seems like a railway would be a good idea. <laughs> and than, yet, yes, which is which is kind of a wild th- a wild thing to understand. But the idea that you've got these train tracks, maybe you're not moving freight on them 100 percent of the time. Maybe you can get some money out of folks by taking them to somewhere exciting, and then through this, through this, you know, helping invigorate or reinvigorate these 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 seaside places and so forth. It's kind of a an interesting thing. Hmm. Hmm. So it's kind of the, the balance between the two, and to as it were RPG and magic it up a bit. I figured, why not actually magic it up a bit, so that you've got. Yeah, I, I needed yes, I, I very much needed a way to sort of focus the the um, focus the game onto one place, and so what I'm imagining is the the very small town of Beresford Crossing. You know, it's a little town. It it's one of those. It doesn't really show up on a map of the district. It barely shows up on a map of a town, sort of thing. But it does have a little train station, and so this little train station is being affected by these movements at the the, the very top levels of government to to try to decide or decree what the transport system is supposed to be for, whether whether the mere people are allowed to tra- travel on, on the trains or not. And yeah, Beresford Crossing has always been a little bit important. You know, it used to be a river crossing, back, you know, way back when. It was, a, it was a useful river crossing. And then when the canals were being built, it just, by quirk of geography, turned out to be this, this relatively... Um, a relatively important spot locally for for how the canal system worked, and yeah, because we're throwing in a, a bit of fantasy here, turns out it's sort of at a conjunction of ley lines, and well, it's not really a major rail crossing, but it still kind of carries a little bit of that influence okay. somehow, and yeah, for for what I'm imagining, again, I sort of tried to think of the the game to me works best or works better if the players are people in this little town who start to become aware that this is you know their their little their tiny little town has kind of become the the linchpin of a lot of very big forces that are all focusing on all focusing on either sort of pushing their their movement forward or breaking the other the other the other side's um, momentum and it's all kind of happening here it's 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 the keystone because you've right. got it's a microcosm. A, yeah, you've got you've got a lot of sort of forces in opposition. Yeah, if you you go with the ley line things and you go with the magical things, that on the one hand you've got a train system as these lines of cold iron cutting the country in half or cu- cutting the country into pieces. Hmm. Or you could flip it around and look at a look at a train and say, well, what's a train powered by? It's powered by the spirits of ancient dead forests. If you want to go a little bit more elemental, you could go with a, you know, a steam train being earth and fire using air and water to propel something across the landscape. Hmm. You could have, I feel, a lot of fun with effectively all of the weird 
All of the weird creatures and forces that would creep out of the woodwork and would have views on this that aren't necessarily going to fall into the nature versus industry. There are going to be some who will fall into those, but there are others who will will maybe look at it and say, "Well, yeah, okay, the yeah, the, this train system does kind of kind of screw up the the natural sort of fairy roads." On the other hand, while it is a a a bar of cold iron across the land, it is actually being held yeah, held aloft by um by a sort of woodened earth. There is a connection there. Hmm. And so the you know the game I have in mind and I it feels kind of Dresdeny to me. That feels like the sort of thing yeah, the sort of the sort of background for a admittedly a fairly weird Dresden game. This feels like the sort of game where you take relatively normal people and drag them into a very strange world and make them the ones who solve the problem. Actually, what I, you're, the image you're putting into my head is fundamentally Babylon 5 with copses, low stone walls, and hedgerows. I can live with that. It's... I'm not sure exactly of the, the, you know, the, the participants in the story, but the idea that this place has all of these common features and happens to entertain some influence like in the rest of the, the realm, as it were. Yeah, the idea that there's something goes down here. I mean, you'd have like completely prosaic stuff, like say the member of parliament who is looks who who's looks after transport or something like that just happens, you know, has a great aunt or something who happens to use this line, and so it has a has it's going to turn up one of those YouTube channels like the the, the least common used uh, commonly used train stop in you know Devon or wherever it is. You know, so there's going to be some quirks about it there, but having the reason that the these things happen are a mixture of these completely prosaic and otherworldly influences could be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That one, that's an interesting idea. I think it needs more explaining to Ben, but I kind of get what you're going at. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I suspect, yes, if I, if I was doing this as a, a Drizzen game... I think a lot of it would come out during the create your city phase of things, except you're creating a village wrapped around a train line with a little train station that is inexplicably important. Hmm. Sounds cosy, I think, possibly deliberately, but also a little bit weird kind of sort of macro effects coming out of it. Things, things I would try to hit on when running this. So I'm pretty sure that. I mean, if Stephen King hasn't done this one, I'd be amazed. And I know that um, Ray Bradbury and possibly Clive Barker have. Is you know, the idea of the inhabitants of the town watching this steady stream of stranger and stranger people coming into town, and it's not clear why. Hmm. Yeah, certainly, uh, Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October touched on this one with very strange people turning up in town. And because it's being written from the point of view of one of them, we actually know why. Mm. You know, from the point of the, the, the townsfolk, they have no idea what's going on. Mm. So yeah, that's where, that's where I went with it. I okay. didn't actually expect to end up there, but I'm not mad at it. Fair enough. That one is intriguing. I, I definitely would... I would be interested in seeing what you would do for the elevator pitch for that particular one. And, you know, how you would say if it was you, 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 were, you were doing your tweet to promote your new game of rail network based magical realism stuff i i would i'd be fascinated to see how that would work it, it obviously there is a long and 
as yet unplanned as we do in this this context we don't actually intend to create all the stories but the idea that that uh, i'd like to see how someone would try and present that one if i was elevator pitching the specific no no need to if, if, if that's not where you've gone at this point that's fine it's just that that's where oh, i no, i was yeah i was just thinking about it now if i was if i was eleva- elevator pitching the specific scenario it would be you, know, you are people who live in this quaint tiny little town in a valley called Beresford Crossing the local train station is under threat from governmental governmental plans and efficiency that it may be that the the train station will be closed and you'll basically lose easy contact with with the outside world other than by taking a boat up and down the river or yeah, walking. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's that, you really got to squish that down to something really impactful. That's, so that, that, and this probably isn't the time to do it, but you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I would, what I would anticipate being interesting. Because mm. yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there these days and you know, you got to kind of get, get quite, quite punchy. Hmm. Interesting though. I like, I like the idea of that. Specifically, what was the over-planning angle? Pretty much most of what I just said. Okay. The, the over-planning is the, the, an idea for a game before it is distilled down. Very much so. Because, yes, I ended up over-planning it mostly because once the idea of this governmental thing and once the idea of the beaching cuts kind of got into my head, I couldn't or didn't let it go. And found myself putting effectively more and more spin on the damn thing in an attempt to make a game out of it. Um, now, as it was, it ended up with some, with something that I'm I'm actually okay with. It does need some work, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the idea. But I do find myself wondering, okay, if I'd been able to put the fucking train thing down for five minutes, <laughs> could well, I have come up with something else? Well... Obviously, but you wanted to do something with the trains in it. But, you know, as, as the old writer's saw goes, you've got to kill your Furbies. I'm practically certain that's not how that works, but let's run with it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. As I understood, the reason we have to kill our Furbies is because eventually a signal will go out from high command and they will rise up and destroy us all. Yeah, exactly. As we referred, as we referred earlier. Yeah, you all, you all got that, right? Yeah. You, you got that, man? <laughs> Maybe that was just spam. All right. So I came up with something pretty concrete, sort of pretty pretty easily defined, though a little bit esoteric in the mechanism. And what's more, this could be played with your basic bitch fantasy RPG. You could use Dungeons & Dragons I Don't Care Edition for this thing. Huh. Yep. Do we even do that? I have possibly punted it once before, which is... I've I've been you know thinking thinking about this, and I've taken some very specifically uh, classic fantasy RPG elements out of the title. Basically, you're adventurers, you do adventuring stuff, and but you get back to one of your one of the the places that you consider your home base or safe territory, and people are behaving strangely, and due to some sort of brush or interaction or near miss with what's going on, you discover that there is a terrible conspiracy going on. And what's more, it's related to the use of common tongue. That being the idea that there is a generic sort of lingua franca in 
fantasy worlds that everybody who uses the myriad different cultures and so forth, which all seem to be sort of up against one another, all use. Also, it was a good way of people going like, I know rank six Elvish. Do you know Elvish? I was like, no, I don't. So we're not having this conversation, are we? Oh, shit. I tried to do the language thing in a game once and realized almost immediately what a terrible, terrible mistake it was because it was really annoying. I am making that terrible mistake, but harder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. So the, the idea is that somebody has embedded either either recently or possibly it was a, it was a trap all along something uh, in, uh, 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 yes, exactly. uh, 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 into the common language that basically is allowing to subvert people's wills and take and sort of silently take over and it's just some sort of exchange it's like a call and response something or it's there's there's uh, from the anime recreators there's a one of the characters i think it's um uh, Mag- Magane? is this sort of terrifying, slightly Lovecraftian schoolgirl with the ability to take a lie within a lie and turn it into a truth, basically. She says two untrue things, and if you try um, if you try and refute one, the other one becomes true. If, you know, if she says the moon is full and you will turn into a werewolf, and you say the moon is not full, the two lies mean that you are a werewolf. It's a bit wacky, but... Interesting. <laughs> the weird version of Carolian logic. Yeah, yeah. Or some sort of call and response. Specific, specifically, sort of, there is a there is a loaded phrase. Is like say it, it's it's a beautiful morning, and if call and some and correcting somebody does re, it means that you are not under the effect of the um, the enchantment because it is the the dawn of some dark lord's ascension or something like that. And you, so there is some mechanism there which I which I'd want to work on a little bit more. But the idea is that suddenly engaging in conversation with people you don't trust or people you haven't seen for the last 10 minutes and might have been infected in common is extremely dangerous. But also walking around not speaking common in front of all these people who have had their brains taken over by speaking common is also a bit of a giveaway. Huh. So it's a regular fantasy game and you're doing regular fantasy stuff, but this is insidious infection spreading around using language. And there's a little bit of snow crash in there with the only the Nam Shabavinki, but this is not this is not like direct broadcast stuff. You actually have to get to engage with it. So it's not quite as It's a little bit ponty ball as well. Oh yeah, a little bit a little bit. We keep we do we do reference that a couple of times. I should actually watch it at some point, but it sounds dreadfully disturbing. Yeah, that's accurate. So yes, the idea that there is this thing creeping around infecting people's brains and you're having to figure that out there's something going on, figure out how do you protect yourself, and the idea of using some sort of breaking language in some way will protect you. The, the idea of using some sort of pigeon or, or something, if you can find some way of protecting yourself with it. At this point, of course, my, my, I screamed at my brain, you're doing a COVID metaphor. Why are you doing a COVID metaphor? No one wants to hear about this stuff. But the idea of putting that, that in, I think would be kind of fascinating. And... There would be a reason for people to speak one another's languages, even if it's just like haltingly, yeah, keep and keep things. Because I would make it specific that like this doesn't work via telepathy. It it doesn't work via any sort of like written stuff. It has to be spoken. So you you in order to contract the thing or in order to pass it on, hmm. you actually have to have a conversation in common with an infected person. Yeah, and it, it and it, there is a sort of call and response that triggers that buffer overflow, as it were. 
Interesting. Kind of implies it's been running around for a while. It's a little bit, you know, the one ring. It's like, ha, I'm taking this thing and using it against, it, against you, kind of thing, in a fantasy setting specifically. Hmm. You know, trying not to think of it as a horrifying zombie movie? Um, it's more of a creepifying body snatchers movie. Right. Ooh, so it's somebody in plate mail with a terrible moustache standing, pointing at you and screaming. You could Photoshop that in pretty easily, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's doable. It, I think it would be more of a, you know, one of those, we're all so happy we're now brainwashed by the cult leader kind of situations. Lots of creepy, blank-eyed, smiling people. See, I'm now just imagining a fantasy version of the overly attached girlfriend meme. Okay. Yes. Staring (laughs) at the point just slightly off to the side of your ear. Yes. Interesting. Also, it would, it would, I guess it would subvert the the regular fantasy tropes of like, oh, bad things we must kill now. Because, you know, the people affected, you know, they presumably aren't entirely responsible for their actions and may not, because of the way it spreads, may not be anywhere near the nexus of what's going on. So there's a lot to do to get to the, the bottom of the issue and put sword in bad man portion. Yeah, it's difficult to get to... Yeah, difficult to tell when somebody or whether somebody's been taken over. That is also part Potentially. of the, the paranoia as well. It's like, yeah, oh, such and such went and talked to the shopkeeper. Wait a minute. Were they, <laughs> what, what language were they using? Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> Well, the shopkeeper was talking in common, but I couldn't understand. Yeah, I couldn't hear what language they were speaking. Mm. Yeah, so it makes it makes you know multilingual characters a little bit more useful. That's always nice. Yeah. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I have no idea how you'd resolve this issue. <laughs> Presumably, diagnosis, isolation, quarantine, and prophylaxis, like any other sort of pandemic. But it might depend on how big you want the problem to be. Like if it's if it's something small but spreading, then presumably somewhere towards the city, well, somewhere out there is the person who did this. Presumably they have a reason for doing it, mm. or presumably they had a reason for doing it. I mean, it could be something as prosaic in fantasy as somebody opening the, you know, going into the depths of the dungeon, going through the various huge doors, some of which were bricked up, saying. Do not enter here. Horrible cursed thing here. Don't go in. Seriously, we really, really mean it. Opening up the 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 magic chest with strange sigils on it. Reading the scroll that is in <laughs> common and is really easy to read. And then nature just takes its fucking course. Because there's always that guy. You know, it could be something that dumb. Yep. It, it could be, it could be. And it depends on the, 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 the scope and scale that your game is in. If it was... We are the plucky few of not very impressive adventures. You could do have it rampage over the the entire world, and they do an in, sort of insurgent, stealthy kind of campaign to track it back to the the origin. I mean, you could you, you could go full on Tower of Babel on it. Yeah, it was that was kind of a semi inspiration, is except there that the tower is more of a linguistic one that's been knocked mm. down. And but yeah, if, if say it was a ongoing campaign. You could have, say, relatively tough guy adventurers find out in the progress, um, and it's, it's sort of the nascent state before it gets out of control and shut it down. Early, and that could be one of their many heroic deeds, or it could be like the yeah, it could be the entire story, and you could play it more like a mimetic apocalypse, where regardless of what levels the characters are, they are 
fantastically outnumbered because everyone who speaks a language is is a possible vector and or um, agent, as it were, Matrix style. And depending on how you wanted to do it and depending on the party level, you could have a reasonable amount of fun with them sort of ascending up out of a dungeon that they've busily mm. been looting, find that there's this ragged group of people who have walled themselves up in the dungeon and are frantically attempting to communicate with each other using vaguely remembered bits of other languages that none of them are the right races for. Yeah, or they just don't have enough common common uh, language fragments to, to communicate yeah. properly. Yes, yeah, so somebody who knows just enough Elvish to be... Um, to be able to sell, you know, sell somebody some vegetables, but that's about it. Mm. Yeah, and and yeah, so you could do that. You're like, ha, huh, we have to fit, descend, descend into the dungeon and come back, and everything is screwed. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, we were gone for five minutes, people. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, I've got to shout out uh, Laurie Anderson, of course, for the song, the song "Language Is a Virus." I think there was also a DQ thing that I recall from that campaign where something about um, the existence of drow was a, sort of a language-based curse. I don't remember the specifics anymore. But that was, that was probably part of the inspiration somewhere in there. Fair enough. That is an interesting one. Hmm. So, in- injecting paranoia and use of language skills into your uh, your regular-ass fantasy game for a bit. I mean, it would give people an opportunity to use alignment language. <laughs> yeah. That, I think that, that was a, a thing in, like, first or second ed. Wildly. That, that, that's right up there with you, you people look the same, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, from one, frankly, rather negative viewpoint, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It, it's, it, it's more that apparently there are only nine um, possible... Nine possible worldviews um, available, and they all inexplicably speak the same language. Yes. Uh, I, just, I see here on your CV that you're fluent in evil. Ah, excellent. We need someone who knows. We need someone for marketing. Ah, I see. Yes. You speak evil and direwolf. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Very helpful. And, yes, so the, the over-planning aspect of this one. Well... Partially, it's on the GM side of things. You can overplan how this will probably play out. But also, while I like the conceit of this, I can definitely see a possibility where either if you ha- if you are executing the, the evidence or transmission of the, the curse in real time, much like I've seen players do with you know abilities and games, which basically reflect 20 questions and so forth, planning out complex decision trees and so forth, and which, which things to... Uh, to, to optimize how those questions are, are, are asked, or making ridiculous plots to avoid what they think might be the, the transmission vector and so forth of the, the curse, you could definitely trigger that particular response in certain kinds of players. I think you've got to be a little bit careful to say, yes, we're playing this as, there isn't a saving throw per se, but you don't need to worry about it being a gotcha so much. Because that do, does... Uh, trouble some folks i know yeah the, the the i mean at least with the people i know shadow run was always the game that triggered uh, analysis paralysis in in certain players where just every plan gets micro micro analyzed to the point that the plan doesn't make any sense anymore 
Mm, and too many contingencies and possibilities are brought up until the players just decide to hire an empty um, floor in a office block and put an artillery piece in there. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of problems that will solve. Indeed, indeed. But generally, uh, only in a 90-degree arc and a certain part of a given city. <laughs> I mean, I'm liking it purely from the point of view of if, if the... You know, if the I mean, I'm, I'm already overthinking and overplanning this. Um, and I am imagining it as just an, an inexplicable assassination where the party are brought in to investigate a horrifying crime because somebody was blown up in their office and it turns out it's because somebody rented out the floor below them which was inexplicably high enough to be able to get an artillery piece in (laughs) and point it straight up so that they were basically shot from below with a howitzer. I was thinking from an adjacent building but yeah I mean if you're abandoning all cells you abandon all cells you'd be my guest. (laughs) Yeah, but it's kind of a, who hates somebody that much? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I also I also guess that as an actual plan, infecting the the uh, the common language of the realm with a uh, with a with a buffer overflow this way does also seem like a lot of a lot of effort. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's all over. Presumably they've got something very big they wanted to do. Hmm. It's kind of a let's turn the entire um yeah, the entirety of the world into a helpful and obedient workforce because I've got this really shit hot castle I want to get constructed. Indeed. And I'm not interested in paying market rates. <laughs> yes. That's what it pretty much comes down to. Yeah, have you seen what um we're getting very sco- very scooby doo here where the evil always turns out to be somebody trying to get cheap property. Yes, there is a, a tweet of a like a grim looking and darkly aspected Shaggy with like a a, a, a fairly revolutionary and uh, pointed statement about property owning class. <laughs> yes. Okay. So with that uh that, that wrapped up, offerings do we have from the the audience? I see John has uh Provided us with something? John has provided us with something. Shall I Shall I launch into this one? Yes. John writes, The setting is your standard quasi-medieval fantasy kingdom 1B. <laughs> the PCs are not daring adventurers, calculating thieves, or fearsome mages. No! The PCs are the common man, the zero-level peasants that occupy standard quasi-medieval fantasy village 1B23 a cosy hamlet of 70 to 100 individuals whose only job, it seems, is to cater to the whims of the adventurers. It pays well, mind. Your average serving wench makes enough in tips to buy her own barony. Or it would be if it weren't for the dreaded one-two punch of hyperinflation and overtaxation. I mean, John doesn't know it, but he's more or less describing the Auckland property market. Well... But let's not go into that right now. That's, it's certainly that's... some of the problems. It's actually un- under taxation would be is one of the. Uh, in fact, the absence of taxation is a is is part of the issue. So not quite, but yes. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Take that one out if you like. I liked it as an analogy. When the adventurers in town, prices go through the roof, and when they leave, the royal taxman shows up to collect the ninety percent tax on all wages, goods, and services. So, two steps forward and a giant leap back. But it's a living. You make enough that you can hope to retire from the gig with a sizable nest egg. But where there are adventurers, there's also trouble. Goblins raiding farms, 
kobolds living in the sewers. Yes, sewers. For a town of 100, there are kilometers of walkable sewers underneath it. The occasional dragon visitation and the like. It all comes to a head when the local orc tribe raids the village looking for the adventurers. There's some minor pillaging, a couple of thatch roofs on fire, but no one gets killed, though a few will need to see the town cleric afterwards. The orcs were pissed because the adventurers stole a religious relic from their temple, and they want it back, and they were going to tear the village down to find them. If it wasn't for the quick thinking of one of the villagers, i.e. the PC with the highest charisma, convincing the orc chief that the adventurers went that away, it would have been bad for SQMFV1B23. Is that what Elon Musk named his kit? I don't know. Close. Fair enough. I wasn't sure. I think there were more ampersands or something. Uh, okay. Surveying the damage caused by caused yet again by stinking adventurers, the curse of the common man, everyone decides enough is enough. We have to do something about those adventurers, goes up the cry. But what? They are a major source of income for the village, but there must be a way to turn this around so that the villagers have the upper hand in this situation. And here's where I'll leave it. Anymore, and I'm telling the players how to deal with the adventurers. They can go in several directions. Become the Ikea of adventurers. Heroes go in, get lost in the labyrinth, but at the same time spend lots of money on useless kitsch and Swedish meatballs. Or they can become dark lords themselves and threaten all with their wrath. I mean, I know players who would have gone with that second option, just full in, just full steam ahead. Yep. Yep. So before, before anything else had been established. It's true. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, that is the, the Dungeon Keeper um, video game in a nutshell. So, And you've already got like hundreds of um, kilometres of sewers apparently. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's always a start. Yeah, there, there's always been the, the, the occasional subversion of the fantasy trope where it's like, yes, this is the last village before the, the, the dragon's lair. Please buy all of our overpriced uh, dragon repellent and so forth. It, it, yes, and, and please don't imagine for a second that the dragon gets a cut of the uh, of the proceeds. Is that not a thing from the Final Fantasy games? That like, yeah, the world is in dire threat. The the players are the only people who can boss. The party are the only people who can possibly fix it. And there's still some guy with a stall selling you magic shit. Yeah, it's a, but it depends on how broad, widely known that threat is. But yes, and some of them it's like, well, we can see the the magical asteroid or whatever is you know it's like saying to breach the atmosphere but no still you you, you you've got to pay uh we don't give credit around here yeah pay up for that phoenix down or we can race chocobos for it yeah it's a bit it's a bit of a thing i do like that i, I do like the subversion of the um subversion of the thing i should mention former couch tier kev's dungeon monsters guide game hmm. which is basically the idea of the children of the village making friends with the monsters of the dungeon. What happens next? Yeah, much as much as John says, it's it's very easy to sort of come up with this is how the party should solve the problem, and that's not really what it's about. I mean, what came to my mind was sort of getting the the goblins and the kobolds and the orcs together, dressing up the sewers, and basically running a dude ranch for adventurers. So very much like your idea from, or aspects of your idea from the last episode, only. The adventurers don't know it's a dude ranch. Yeah, they could just go full pragmatic and, you know, say, have a um, set of stairs descending into the earth with dungeon this way, and it's really just a place where they keep a lot of hydrogen sulfide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gas. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I get the setup. I'm not too sure about how you would... Uh, I mean, the impression I get is the same damned adventurers doing it over and over again, which is part of the problem. I, don't know if it, I, I kind of assumed it was different groups of them, that they'll they'll arrive, they'll test their, fo- their fate against the dungeon, and then they'll hmm. bugger off again. Yeah. Not, yeah. not so sure about this one. Partially because, I mean, the peasants seem particularly screwed. Not that peasants were not particularly screwed. But yeah, they... Hey, never, never a great deal to be a peasant in a, uh, a uh, murder-hobo environment, but... Mm. Yeah. I... I, I am liking this. I am I'm quite liking the fun of... I, I'd want to play it a bit loosey-goosey in terms of what the um, the players can actually accomplish with doing stuff, because it's it's frankly more fun if you know, if they decide to go with the, you know, screw it, we're going to become Dark Lords ourselves, and just, you know, the, the way we're going to save our village is by becoming Dark Lords of the Valley... And then at least the adventurers will bugger off somewhere else, which shows a distinct lack of understanding of how adventurers are going to react to things, which is hilarious to me. Eh, it, it might also be where you get, you know, Mordor from. <laughs> like, these guys are really annoying. Hey, why don't we start a, a fiery kingdom riven with lava and um, spiders? Not quite, but yes. Mm. I can, yeah, I, I can see that. I can... Depending on how annoying the adventurers are and how often they crop up, you can definitely see the, all right, I found this magic spell that will raise a, um, a, a mountain range that the adventurers cannot get to us. Why is there also a volcano in the middle of it? <laughs> Dave, did you not read the fine print? Hmm. Yeah. Then I, I guess you could... <laughs> maybe adventuring is actually a debilitating addiction and they what they need to actually do is help in you know, like stage interventions and wean these people off doing all these terrible things, and that is their uh, road to prosperity and um, peace. Interesting. So it's a a health spa for adventurers. Fundamentally, yes. Maybe that would be the most um, lawful good <laughs> avenue out of this. I, I'm now imagining an orc chieftain in this spotless white homespun tunic, sort of. Guiding people through a yoga lesson. Yes, that's that's quite fun. I am. I mean, it, that that should be the end rather than the start of it. But I do like the idea of sort of investigating and get, tr- trying to get everybody together. And it turns out the entire reason that all these different groups hate each other is simply because of the adventurers. That the actual problem, the reason for all these horrible wars between the species, is because of these gits who keep turning up and nicking other people's stuff. Or taking something from some group and using it to dreadfully inconvenience the other is like, what? You gave them this? No, they stole it off it. What? <laughs> yeah. How did you let... Yeah, how could you possibly let it let it go? Wasn't it guarded by giant spiders? Yeah, they, they, they had an anti-spider whistle. Yeah. Anybody know where they got one of those? So, so, uh, that, that might have been us. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my, my, my last spin on this one, and possibly the most ridiculous spin on it, is just... The idea of a group of adventurers coming to an area and just finding a blockade that is just the entire town and warring goblin tribes and everybody have simply gone on strike and are refusing to deal with them. Hmm. Yeah. I like it. 
There is a lot of fun, though I, I suspect it's the sort of game that kind of has the um, GM is going to be tap dancing uh, on the edge of the volcano trying to stay ahead of what the players are up to. To be fair, they have an arsenal of not only the, just the GMs so they can come up with stuff random, but all of the ghoulish, hacky, edge case bullshit that players have tried in the past, so... Yeah. yeah. Can I stab the vampire with a carrot? <laughs> yeah. Is it pointy? <laughs> oh, you're playing quags. Is it pointy? Is it big? Or is it scary? And it, is it scary? It was sort of <laughs> how somebody described how the, the the various damage modifiers for weapons went. That's fair. It covers most bases. Given this is a game that did have the the stats on the cathedral pult. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure loud is also a good modifier as well. Because that would certainly count. Hmm. Not sure. I want to see a silenced cathedral pult. No, that would also be scary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody dropped an enormous building on them, but it was very quiet. <laughs> that just raises more questions. Okay. Okay, so what does that lead for us to do? I think that leads for us to um, to thank John for for that idea. John also wrote on the topic of the previous episode, uh, Happy Camper's Adventures. He commented on both my idea and on Ben's idea, and because I am relentlessly self-centered... I'm going with his comment on my idea first, which is thinking about the Manchurian camper date. It took me three rereads to spot that. Well done. Perhaps it's not run by former Soviets, but by aliens looking to spread the good word about aliens visiting Earth by creating a cadre of properly prepared human ambassadors. Hmm. There are certain spots in the desert in America which seem like they've got a good start on that. Yeah. I mean, that's quite fun. And it does... The nice thing is it doesn't actually rule out any of the bizarre setup that we'd come up with for um, sort of people being drawn back to the camp years later, people deciding, hey, let's visit the old um, the old summer camp where we, we, we met, why does nothing look the same, where'd the lake go? All of that still works. You just also get ray guns and things with cool rings on them. True. Or, you know, full-on bizarre avatar um, style blue cat people and stuff and people realising <laughs> you know those camp counselors were ridiculously tall <laughs> in hindsight yes that would yeah I mean that would be entertaining if the um, the camp counselors in question weren't even remotely human then as you start to realise like now that I think about it didn't the basketball guy have like extra arm does anybody remember him having extra arm yeah I don't yeah, I'm not sure but he could cross you up like a fiend yeah and the other one, John's comment on uh, Ben's post-Gygaxian fantasy uh, world setting. There is the comment, which I do not understand, but which I'm going to ask Ben to explain to me so that I may know the full horror. Um, the comment is, you could always call on Truckkun to send some likely candidates to an Isekai fantasy world. Ben, justify yourself. <laughs> justify my existence? Uh, that's impossible. Um, there justify is a- this statement. What? There is what a, the there hell? Because is... you responded to this, man. Good? I'm good, yep. Sorry. <laughs> there is a long-standing and now parodied trope that around any given corner, there is a, like a two-ton commercial transport vehicle waiting to whisk the um, the lucky protagonist in a uh, alternate reality fantasy adventure off to their fate by means of traumatic vehicular interaction 
the most dramatic example, I believe, was um, from Zombie Saga, where the where the, the 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 young lady in question go to an alternate reality, but started a very new life as a um, zombie idol, and that particular sequence starts as the right at the beginning, of the thing, and is the most shocking and hilarious thing I've seen in anime for quite a long time. It is a that's a thing. It's subverted in Konosuba, where person is. A, a dreadful shut-in and imagines someone's about to be run over by a, a very slow-moving tractor, um, panics and ends up having some sort of horrible episode. So it's not the non-heroic version. But yeah, Truck-kun seems to be lurking out there in the um, the side streets of Japan, waiting to spirit people off to their uh, alternate realities. Okay. Yeah, so if somebody tells you to get isekai, it's basically a threat. Ah. <sighs> But okay, all right. <laughs> there you go. You, you you knew you knew you didn't want to know it to start with. But there you go. <sighs> to quote from a recent, I think the most recent episode of a time of recording, questionable content. Like, I figured this was an internet thing, and if there's one thing I've learned, is that I don't want to learn about internet things. Fair enough. At least it wasn't a sex thing, as far as I'm aware. I'm not even going there. No. no, Fair enough. You can't make me. All right. So we know what the topic for the next episode is. So so I am now educated on truck-kun. I feel... I'm not sure what I feel, to be honest. It could have been worse. It's it's got to be... There has to be a tinge with relief. That's true. It's, It's pretty wholesome as it goes. So, it's time to announce the the topic of the next episode of The Big Red Couch, episode 157, which is another callback to a previous episode from quite a while ago. I I don't actually know which one, because the prompt is the name of the um, Big Red Couch house band, Chunk Weasel. Yes, the beloved house band from the other side of the culvert in some poorly insulated garage... Uh, they have serenaded us in the past, but largely just the same same couple of um, bars of, I think it was Iron Man by Black Sabbath? I can't recall, though. Such is the dedication of Chunk Weasel that, um, like a Zen master, they will practice the same thing over and over to get it perfect. That's the sort of dedication that we of the Big Red Couch bring to you. Indeed, indeed. Hopefully muffled by... Cinder block and time. Yeah, yeah. What little installation that we've managed to cobble together. So yes, Chunk Weasel making their debut appearance in the actual content of the Big Red Couch, as opposed to merely in the curses that we mutter between songs. And also the the editing floor where most of their uh, library brilliance. <laughs> the New Zealand music industry is a tough business because most of it happens in Australia. Well, I mean, not at the moment, obviously, but yeah, yeah, in in general. So, and that, of course, leaves space in the roster for more exciting um, prompt possibilities for episode 158. How did we get to episode 158? All right. And those options are VIP Zealot, Laser Plated Hero, My dear, we're out of Stilton, and Slithering Albion. So, look for those polls and we will uh, join you next time for a rousing performance by chunk weasel you can't tell 
but I am totally throwing the horns at this point. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you'll be back to hear from Chunk Weasel. Mm-hmm. And to a lesser extent, myself and Ben. <laughs> and yes, we will see you then. Take care, everybody. Bye now. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.